0: Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com. This is what the Lord reminded me of and told me to, to speak to you on. And I want you to really understand or take this statement with you and really consider it, okay? The highest use of the gathering of the saints... I want to talk about the highest use of the gathering of the saints. I'm going to tell you what it is. The highest use of the gathering of the saints is ministry to the Lord. The highest use of the gathering of the saints is ministry unto the Lord. It's actually not ministry to you. It's ministry to the Lord that we minister to him. Are you with me? That's not the only use. Amen. It's not the only use, we, we have uses like a fellowship, like that's useful, knowing one another, right? coming together, seeing friends, hugging it out, all that, yeah, you know, this bumping, you know, whatever you're doing right now, right, that's fellowship, that's good, encouraging one another, that's a use of our gatherings, right, you know, coffee is good too, I like coffee, that's a useful thing to do, get together, have some coffee at church with your friends, that's great, I do that, that's fun, right? But those are not the highest use, okay? Coffee and cake is not the highest use. <laughs> Encouraging one another is not the highest use. Ministering to the Lord is the highest use. So what does that look like? It looks like really three things that we give to God. But I want you to understand, I'm gonna talk a lot about worship today and, and I don't want you to paradigm that and like frame that up as only being the songs we sing, okay? You know, our life is, a, is a, a living sacrifice. It's worship unto the Lord. Amen. And even Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water to one of these, you've done it unto me, right? One of these little ones. So literally, our host team handing out coffee and water is doing it to Jesus. They're giving Jesus coffee. They're giving Jesus water. Are you with me? Those in the TRP kids area are ministering to the Lord by serving your kids. Are you with me? Yeah, so whatever you do, Colossians 3, do it you know, as unto the Lord, not as unto men, right? I believe that's Colossians three twenty-three. It's in three somewhere. Read the whole chapter. It's a good one, all right? So <laughs> are you understanding that this is not just about singing songs, but it is about a way that we minister to the Lord, okay? So I'm going to give you the three main elements of ministry to the Lord that we do all together when we come together. Are you Okay. Yeah? Okay. The first one is we give him thanks. Thanksgiving. The second one is we give him praise. They're different. I'll define it for you. And then worship. Thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Okay? Say Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Thanksgiving has to do with God's hand. I've talked about this many times, but I want it to stick. Okay? I'm repeating myself because good teachers repeat themselves. Right? Good teachers repeat themselves. Um, God... (laughs) has done something in your life, right? He's moved, his hand has moved in your life. Can someone say amen? God's hand has moved in your life. And because of that, you give him thanks. You say, thank you for that time you saved my soul. Thank you for that time you provided, which was every second of every day, by the way. All right, thank you for that time you healed me. Thank you. You're looking back to move forward in worship. Thanksgiving is the, is the starting point, but it has to do with God's hand. Say God's hand. Praise has to do with God's heart. Say heart. It has to do with who he is. Okay, the core of who he is, him from the inside out. It's when we tell him he's majestic. It's when we tell him he's powerful. Thanksgiving says you've done something powerful. Praise says you are powerful. Are you following me? That's the difference. And then finally, worship. Worship always has to do with sacrifice. Say sacrifice. So I'm just grateful to be in the new covenant worship because back in the old covenant it was like literal sacrifice of bulls and goats and you know to worship the Lord was literally a bloodbath. You know, I'm just you know I eat meat but I don't really want to see it prepared. You know what I'm saying? So I wouldn't have been a fan of those worship gatherings just saying anyway, maybe if I grew up in that culture but me standing here no. All right? The point is worship has to have sacrifice and We'll get into the details of that in a second. But the thing I want you to really camp on here is that all of this is a response. Our ministry to the Lord is only a response to his ministry to us. That's why it starts with Thanksgiving. Look at what he's done. Are you with me? All right. So this is good news, but you initiate nothing with God. I'll step on your toes because you might need it. Okay. You don't pursue God. Are you kidding me? Like he's running away? Uh, (laughs) He pursues you. No, repentance is to change the way you think, right? But it's changing the way you think in such a way that you actually turn and walk another way. This is what repentance looks like. You're walking away from God. God's chasing you, and then you turn, and bang, he collides into you. That's (laughs) repentance. That's what happens. God is the one who initiates everything. Think I'm wrong, 1 John 4.19 says, we only love because He first loved us. Before the foundation of the earth, the Lamb of God was slain. So all of this is a response to His love. So don't you get to thinking that you initiate things with God. No. No, no, no. You start with what He's done, thankfulness. Okay? So ministry, the word minister actually means servant. Okay, so the Lord himself serves us every single day. I don't know if you know that, but he serves you the sunrise. He serves you the breath in your lungs. He serves you every single good and perfect thing that comes down from the heavenly lights, the Father of lights. Are you with me? He's the one serving you, and we become awakened to his servanthood and go, wow, thank you, Jesus, for all you do for me. Are you with me? Okay. Okay. Let's talk about these three things in detail because we need to understand. I know this, you might be like, yeah, we get it, Caleb. Well, okay. Do you ever come here needing something? There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the reason you're coming, you're coming for the wrong reason. I'm being gentle because I love you, okay? If you're coming here because you need something, you're coming for the wrong reason. It's not wrong to come here when you need something. It's right to bring your requests and petitions to God. That's one use of finding your brothers and sisters. I'll tell you, it's not the highest use. We start with responding to the fact that he's already given us everything we need. That's the Bible talking, not me. You've been given everything according to life and godliness. That's first Peter. You already have been given everything according to life and godliness. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, Ephesians chapter 1. When you ask God for more, it's actually an unbelieving prayer. <laughs> when you ask God to give you more, he's like, I gave you me. What more do you want? It's okay. Can repent at any time. Just blink your eyes. Let's blink and repent. It's fine. <laughs> Listen, I understand. Our heart is not often wrong in these prayers, but we need to mature a little bit here, and we need to reset our reason for gathering. Okay, it's good to seek out. You know, James five says any anyone of you sick, gather the elders, have them pray. Amen. Those things are good. They're not the highest use of our gathering. The highest use of our gathering is Jesus serving the Lord what he's asked for. I'm not saying those things are bad. Are you hearing me? I'm saying they're not the highest use. They're not the focal point. They should not be the reason we gather. Are you with me? I'm not anti those. I'm just saying they're not the highest thing. We come together to give something to God that God actually already asked for. God asked for something. He asked for worship. Not because he needs it. He's just fine. God does not need. End of sentence. God does not need. (laughs) Period right there. That's that's the end of my statement, okay? He does not need. doesn't need your money, doesn't need your time, doesn't need your worship. You need. It's your design to be a worshiper. Everyone worships something or someone. Most people worship themselves. Everyone is designed to be a worshiper. Everyone is designed to worship. You're going to be a worshiper all the days of your life. The object of your worship is your decision. Are you with me? It's going to happen. Like you're going to worship you. You're going to worship your spouse. You're going to worship your boss. You're going to worship your job. You're going to worship money. You're going to worship something or someone. So why not just choose to worship the one who's worthy of all of it? The one who created everything. You're going to worship something, you know? I like telling people who don't know Jesus that they're already worshipers. I like telling them that because they're like, oh, you're a worshiper, bro. They're like, what, no, I'm not. I'm like, yeah, you, did. Yeah, you are. What do you think about it all day long? Uh, my job, my bank account. hmm you're a worshiper. It's the meditation of your heart. It's whatever you set your focus on. That's the object of your worship. <laughs> so, we come together. The highest use of the gathering of the saints is ministry unto the Lord. That's right. We give him three things. First, we give him God thanks. Again, this has to do with gratefulness for what he has done. Amen. So we need to, this is important for the end of the year especially. We need to look back at God's faithfulness in order to move forward in our worship. We need to look back at the faithfulness of God in 2020. You need to, you need to start there. Are you with me? This is why we always begin every single gathering with thanksgiving. We always do. We did it today. We do it every weekend at every gathering. It is intentional. We start with saying, thank you, Jesus. I ask you to think of something that he's done and thank him for that thing. Why? Because Psalm 100 verse four says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Gates, enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's the starting point. So we thank thank him at the gate. We look back at his faithfulness to move forward in our worship. The temple in Hebra, the, the Jewish temple is actually a pattern for new covenant worship. It starts at the gate, and then it goes to the courts, and then it goes to the Holy of Holies where the true worship happened, where only the high priest was allowed in. Good news is your high priest took you in there with him. Okay? In fact, your high priest busted out of there. That's why the veil was torn. He's like, "Get me out of here. I can't stay in this box any longer. I got a whole bunch of temples to get into." You know. Whoosh, and he busted out of there. That's the veil being torn in two. But the first place is we thank him at the gate Say the gate Now, I've shared this plenty of times, but the word gate in Hebrew is actually the same word. Are you ready? It's the same word for storms. We enter his storms with thanksgiving. Amen? <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> mm. Why, because you can look back at all the other storms he's calmed. And you're like, wait a minute, and that doesn't make sense, enter his storms? Okay, just because he doesn't send the storm doesn't mean he doesn't own it. This is an attack of the enemy, yeah. Well, you know who's in charge of the enemy? Not the enemy. (laughs) God does not send all things, but he wastes nothing. He wastes nothing, amen? We enter his storms with thanksgiving. Next time you're in a storm, you need to be shouting, thank you, Jesus. He allowed it for a reason. And some people have a paradigm that if God allowed it, he wanted it. Nope. God allowed Judas to betray him. God allowed Adam and Eve to fall in the garden. You think he wanted that? No. Just because he allows it doesn't mean he wants it. In fact, choice is the axiom of love. No choice, no love. So how can the being of perfect love remove your choice and call himself that? He can't. That's why you have choices. And all the children said amen. Listen, I'm saying this for a very important reason. A phrase I'm about to say is gonna sound biblical to you. It's not in the Bible and there's a reason for it. And God bless you, I'm not trying to pull, like call anyone on the carpet for saying this stuff. I understand the heart behind it, but we need to grow up, okay? We need to grow. I'm trying to help you. Okay, this is my job. I equip the saints, all right? Let me help you. The words God is in control are not in your Bible. The words, God is sovereign. He's the sovereign one. Therefore, he could control, but he doesn't. The earth, he's given to the children of men. The heavens, the highest heavens of the Lord's, but the earth, he's given to the children of men. Why do you think the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control? Because Holy Spirit only controls itself. God is in control of God. God is not in control of you. God doesn't want to be in control. God wants to be in love. And if you remove choice and force love, we have a word for that, and it ain't a nice one. Forcing love on someone who doesn't want it. God is not that. So it sounds true, but it's a half-truth. God is sovereign. And people say God is in control when tragedy strikes, thinking it's going to help. That doesn't help. Let me just tell you, it doesn't help someone who's in grief. Well, God must have needed another angel. Stop saying that garbage. God does not need. Stop it. (laughs) Serious. Oh, God must have wanted it to happen because God is in control. God, he desires that none would perish. Do people perish? If God's in control, then why are people perishing? God is all-powerful, God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he has delegated control to you and to me. So you know what it is? It's a theological cop-out. It's shirking the responsibility God gave us to govern and steward the earth. We're supposed to get the kingdom here, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But when we fail, we don't hold up our end of the bargain, we say, well, God is in control. Theological cop-out that makes me quite angry. Can you tell? (laughs) we enter his storms with thanksgiving because we know he's the lord of the storm did you hear what i just said he's the lord of the sabbath he's also the lord of the storm jesus is the (laughs) lord are you with me okay this is the first way we minister to the lord we give him thanks no matter what if you're in a storm or not in fact We're grateful because he's brought us through every storm and into his courts. Are you with me? He's brought us through every storm, the gate, and into the courts. And now we're moving deeper in our worship. Are you with me? Yeah, you seeing this? Okay, the second second thing we give God is praise. Thanksgiving has to do with God's hand, what he's done. Praise has to do with God's heart, who he is, okay? So, Psalm 86, verse 12 says, I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Okay? I will praise you, Lord, with my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. This is actually only one of the seven uh, Hebrew words for praise. Okay? And there are seven on purpose. There are seven Hebrew words for praise. In fact, there's only, you know, we say he sits enthroned on the praises of his people. That is a true statement. But he actually doesn't sit enthroned on all the praises. There's a type of praise that he has complete throne room authority in. He sits enthroned on one kind of praise. It's only mentioned once, and it's a specific word for praise. It's tahila, Not tequila. Yeah, tahila, Okay? Tahila praise is actually the overflow of the heart. It's actually the spontaneous song of the spirit. He only sits enthroned on the spontaneous song of the spirit. That's why we allow our musicians and we encourage them to find that song. Gigi sang one. I think that was an original melody, the thing you were singing in the middle there. Miriam, I felt, sang one. I felt Tehillah in the room. That's when bodies get healed sovereignly. You didn't even pray for it. Like, oh, I'm healed. You know what I mean? That's when that stuff happens. When he has complete authority in a place because there's a certain kind of praise going on. All right. It's important we understand these things, because we need to allow for these things, like, why does your church allow spontaneous worship or not? Well, it's the wrong question. Do you want God to have complete authority in your worship times or not? That's the only question. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now it says, "I will glorify your name forever." Why is that in this verse? Because the word for name actually means authority, individuality or character. Say that with me. Authority, individuality, or character. A name is more than a name, you know. What's in a name? Couldn't a rose by any other name smell such sweet. And the answer is no. Sorry, the Romeo and Juliet thing is actually a really false paradigm. You're like, Caleb, get over it. Stop freaking out. Listen to me. Your name matters. The things God has named matter. When he calls it holy, it matters. When he calls it wicked, it matters. There's actually a fight to rename in the earth. There's a fight to rename stuff, to change the authority, individuality, and character of something or someone. Girl? No. Boy? No, not boy. Whatever you want. Renaming. What's in a name? Couldn't a rose by any other name smell as sweet? No. No, it could not. It smells the way it smells because it's a rose. <laughs> Names matter. So when we say we'll praise you with all our heart, we'll glorify your name. We're saying who you are is what we'll praise. Your individuality, your character. Are you hearing this? This is the difference between Thanksgiving and praise. Praise says you're majestic. That's who you are. You are all powerful. You are kind. These are character words. These are individual, you know, identifiers of who God is. That's what praise does. We praise him because of who he is. In order to do that, you actually have to know who he is. Are you, are you picking this up? Thanksgiving, you actually don't have to know God. Thanksgiving, yeah, I know some of you went. You don't actually have to know God. You just have to recognize that God did something. And from that, you could deduce who he is, but it's really focused on what he's done. We can't stop there. We got to go deeper into who he is. That requires revelation. That requires an unveiling. So if you start with thanksgiving, then you're invited into deeper revelation. Because praise requires revelation. If you don't know he's good, you won't sing things like, you are good, good, oh, you won't sing that a million times. And we sing it a million times. That's the whole chorus over and over again. One of my friends calls it 7-Eleven worship, right? The same seven words 11 times. That's, yeah. (laughs) Oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven. Yeah. So you won't sing that. You might sing it, but it won't be praise unless you've seen his goodness. Unless you know he's good. Are you with me? You won't glorify the Lord unless you believe he's worthy of glory. That takes revelation. So I tell people that your worship is directly tied to your revelation. Our worshipers need to be the deepest Bible studying revelators ever, the worship leaders. They need to be in the word. They need to be getting a revelation of God's goodness, of his mercy, so that we can actually praise God. No revelation, no praise. Well, stay at Thanksgiving, which doesn't require knowing Him. Are you, some of you are picking up what I'm putting down right now. It's good. All right. It requires revelation, and just let me just help you. Help talking to myself. We all need greater revelation of who He is. You have not figured Him out. You don't know everything there is to know about Him. You know maybe the bit that can fit between my squeezed fingers right now. That's how much I know. <laughs> I know that I don't know nothing, okay? I know that what I know is nothing compared to him being known. Are you with me? Okay, that's the second way we minister to the Lord. You following me? First, we give him thanks, then we give him praise, having to do with his heart, and then we give God worship, thanksgiving, praise, and worship. This is ministry unto the Lord, which is what I'm talking about, okay? So in the old Old Covenant, Testament, covenant, I can mind those words. In the old covenant, covenant, they had to have a dying sacrifice. Yeah? In the new covenant, it requires a living sacrifice. Hallelujah? I don't like it when people try to pull me back into old covenant paradigms. like, And actually worse than old covenant paradigms, saying things like, you know, something had to die once a year on the day of atonement. Did you know that? Once a year. But now, all of a sudden, in the new covenant, I have to die every day. Old covenant, obsolete, fading away. New covenant with better promises mediated by the high priest who never dies. Better, I don't know if dying every day is better compared to dying once a year. Something dying once a year, every, I don't think so. Wait a minute, let me, let me try and balance this out with more scripture. Oh yeah, I remember when Jesus said, I come to give you death and death abundantly. I remember that. hmm He said, I came to give you life and life abundantly, amen? People are like, well, Paul said, I die every day. Yeah, he said, Paul dies every day. He didn't tell you to die. He didn't command you to crucify yourself at any one point. He said, I die every day. And by the way, the line right before it says, we face danger every hour. Our lives are in danger every hour. I die every day. So first of all, you need to up it to every hour if you're going to play that game. You got to die every hour. Second of all, he goes on to say, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus? What are you talking about? His life is on the line. He's facing physical death. You know, he was stoned to death. Many scholars believe he actually died and was resurrected. It says he fell down as though dead. And that can mean that he died. He's being persecuted for preaching the gospel. Guess who's persecuting him? The people who claim to know God. I'll take persecution from an unbeliever any day compared to a persecution from a believer. I will. I will. You claim to know the Lord. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation, not condemnation. So it's actually sinful for you to condemn people. And first John chapter three says that anyone who continues in sin has neither seen him or known him. So I wonder if you're actually a Christian casting judgment and condemning other believers it actually says who are you Romans 14 to judge another master's servant do not judge anything until the proper time but we still judge one another in the church it also says that the reason the reason I'm pointing this out is it's not about not making judgment calls it's about the way you make judgment You can judge believers, but you need to do it the way Jesus does it, from the mercy seat. He judges from the seat of mercy. You can't jump off the seat of mercy and cast judgment and call yourself a follower of Jesus. Because he is not going that direction. That one was free. It didn't really have anything to do with anything. Oh, yeah, sacrifice, the living sacrifice, old covenant, dying, new covenant, living, right? The death he died, he died to sin once for all, life he lives, he lives to God forevermore. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You're not dying daily, you're called to be living daily. In fact, if the church saw life, and, or if the world saw life and life abundantly coming out of the church, they might like you a little more. They might actually want what you got. But you're over here trying to crucify yourself. <sighs> what does it mean then? Well, the Hebrew word for worship, because we're talking about that, that element here, the Hebrew word for worship means to fall down, to lay on your face. It's a picture of laying down your life and giving God everything you are, amen? This is Romans 12, verse one says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Right? Your bodies as a living sacrifice. Them. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Say living. living. Just so we're all with the program. <laughs> <laughs> acceptable, holy and acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual worship? What does worship look like in the new covenant? Living sacrifices. You step onto the altar, not to die, to become an altar. You become a walking, talking, holy of holies. How you begin with Thanksgiving, you enter into deeper revelation of who he is so you can praise him. And then you are the altar walking about a living sacrifice, not just having a a bumper sticker that says I have a lifestyle of worship, but like people smell the holy of holies on you when you walk in the room. Like it actually is real. We're no longer those who go into the holy of holies we become the holy of holies. And we didn't do this to us. The Lord did it to us, amen? He created you to be a holy of holies. I'm going a little long. I apologize. Sorry about that. But this is the final and highest way we worship. All right, this is obedience. I'm going long, but the Lord's like, boy, I have to do something specific. So there's a posture to this thing. It means to lie down, to lay down. And I'm gonna give our tech team uh, a second to hopefully catch what I'm gonna do. I'm doing that thing I did in the first that I didn't warn you about, that I'm warning about now so you can get it on camera. I'm sure you did it fine in the first, but this is me being kind and letting you know. Here it comes, all right? <laughs> worship is not actually this. It's down here, and it's where you lay your head beneath your heart. This is worship. Why? Because it's taking your intellect and putting it below your spirit. It's putting your mind in submission to the spirit. I'm just going to say it from this posture. There are cultures who know more about this than the believers do. We need to learn. What it means to worship him, to lay down our lives, to put our understanding in submission to his word. You know, it says lean not on your own understanding, right? Lean not on your own understanding. It says acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and he will make your best You know what that word acknowledge is? It means to fall over. (laughs) Check me. Lean not, don't lean on your own understanding, but fall on the Lord. Just don't lean on that. Fall on this. And he will make your path straight. I don't feel like worshiping. Maybe you need to place your intellect in submission to the spirit, to your heart. So, in review, Thanksgiving has to do with God's hand. Praise has to do with God's heart. And worship requires sacrifice. We need to enter 2021 with Thanksgiving, y'all. If we do that, then we're actually trusted to go further into revelation of who God is so we can praise him rightly. If we do that, then our lives will truly express the reality of who we are in the spirit, which is a walking, talking, worship gathering. Holy of holies on two legs. Did you know that when the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and then I'm done after this, sorry. Y'all are hungry, I'm gonna feed you, I don't know. I keep pulling on something like, not planning half of this. When they carried the Ark on the poles, remember that, the four priests, everything? At a certain distance, because they actually had to keep a certain distance between the ark and the people, at that distance, it actually, with the curvature of the earth and all this stuff, they've proven scientifically that almost all the time, it would not actually look like four people carrying a box. It would actually, because of the distance and all stuff, I read a paper about it. It's really long and academic. I'm trying to break it down, but it would actually look like uh, the front... Priests actually kind of are higher than the lower priests because of all this stuff going on and the distance they're at. You know, if you had a certain distance, the curvature of the earth, all that stuff. At that distance, it would look like a man walking with arms out and legs down. At the exact distance recorded in our Bibles, it would look like not four people carrying, but the front legs would be up and it would be doing this. It would be two legs, you know, like this and two legs like this, and it would just be walking. It would look like a man walking with their hands up. Mm -hmm. And you've become a living sacrifice. It's called the mercy seat. That's where they would sprinkle the blood. I used to be a worship leader. I like this topic. I could talk all day, but I'm going to stop. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com.